It's time for Taking Care of Business on Midlands 103. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Midlands 103. Hello and a good evening. Ronan Berry here. It's Taking Care of Business on Midlands 103. Glad to have you with me this evening. Well, tonight's show is as packed as somebody's online shopping cart on Black Friday or as we were led to believe that's exactly what will be happening because I know my inboxes are full of special offers. I see even the studio inbox here in Midlands 103 full of special offers for Black Friday. That's a topic we're going to look at very shortly on the show actually. But we'll look at it from a slightly different perspective because I'll have a representative from a consumer watchdog on to talk about what they'll be looking out for in terms of what retailers and people selling goods are putting up ahead of Black Friday because their job is, they're charged with ensuring that ads are genuine and that offers are actually special offers and not just um, maybe prices that are are reconstructed just to make it look like you're getting a bargain. So interesting to hear where that will lead later on. But also, if you're a manager or a business owner and your staff are going to spend next Friday surfing the web, looking for those special offers. How might you go about managing or handling that? Well, Caroline Reedy from the HR Suite will have some hints and tips a little bit later too. Also, you'll hear about Board Namona's Innovative Graduate Programme. It is still open for applications, although the closing date is coming thick and fast, but you'll get all the information you need on that a little bit later too. And I'm also going to introduce you to the topic of privacy leadership. So what does that mean for your organisation and how might you go about ensuring that you are meeting all your needs and requirements within that sector too? And also, um, we'll be looking at that from talking to Dr. Valerie Lyons on that. Valerie is a published author when it comes to the topic as well and an expert in that field. So, But before that, I'm going to draw the attention back to a fantastic local company, one that has picked up numerous accolades over the past number of years. Most recently, they collected a Best New Drink Supplier in the Midlands 103 Hospitality Awards. And just last week, they were up in Dublin for the SEAI, that's the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland, Energy Awards, and they picked up an award for Best Small or Medium Business, a fantastic achievement by a local company, and awards like that aren't handed out without good reason as well. So to find out more about how they achieve that and what it means to them, I'd like to be joined by David Walsh, chemist from Ballycle Cavern Brewery. And you regular listeners will know quite a lot about that company too. On their website, it says it all. One farm, 13 generations, 383 years, one family. So David likes to call himself the current custodian of Ballycle Cavern. David, a very good evening. And once again, congratulations on this latest award. Thank you very much, Ronan. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it, it's one that we're absolutely delighted to get because, you know, it, it's a big national award. The SAAI, obviously, you know, a lot of people would have heard of them. Um, and it's small to medium businesses. That's anything up to 250 employees. So we're obviously at the very small end of that. But, you know, we were up against some serious competition in that category. So absolutely delighted to get it. I mean, this is coming at the backdrop of like just this week, you know, we're hearing reports from the UN Environment Programme talking about like emissions and, and where we're going globally and about the need to cut emissions. And, and they reckon that like the top five emitters need to pretty much cut all em- carbon emissions in order for us to reach the climate action targets and it's to stop the earth warming up. And of course, when it comes to taking action, people might often say, well, really, it's not, it's not, in the, in the, in the, it's not the power of small business to actually make changes. You're clearly showing, though, that that can. In the last year alone, you've reduced your carbon footprint by about 77%. How did you go about that? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a combination of a couple of things. So the first thing that everyone would always say if they're advising you on this is the first thing you do is you look at your energy consumption, you work out exactly how you're using energy in your business, and then you come up with a plan or various plans in, in how to cut it. So the first thing we did as part of you know, our, our energy, I suppose, strategy overall was look at the various things that we're doing, try and come up with a few different solutions to it. So for instance, um, where we're brewing, we are generating quite a lot of hot water, so we're using energy to create that hot water. If we can put that back into our hot water tank and use it again the following day that means we're, we're basically reusing that energy again so we were doing things like changing our brewing schedules to make sure we were brewing more days in a row so we were able to reuse that water more often and we have done quite a lot about renewable energy and, and using our own solar panels but you're still you know you still have to reduce the amount of energy you're using so it doesn't really matter whether it's energy from fossil fuels or energy from renewals you still want to use as little of that energy as possible um, and that's what you know coming up with different strategies is all about and of course, the, the awards were judged as well. And they were looking at you know, your your approach and how you might reduce emissions in kind of scope one, scope two and scope three. And just briefly for anybody, scope one is covering emissions from the source that the organisation owns or controls. So like, like what you're saying there around the, the actual fueling in that, scope two is looking a little bit further down the supply chain at like where you're getting your energy from and, and the sources you're using. Um, so what major changes did you make with scope two? Did you actually go and look at your energy providers and, and see where you're actually did. getting renewable energies? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the the easiest way to reduce emissions is just to go to renewable energy. So for us, um, we did two things. The first thing we did was completely switch our energy supplier. So we're now with a company called Go Power. They provide 100% renewable energy. So it means that in terms of just your emissions, you're actually you can cut your you know the figure that you have to report on in terms of how much your um, you know your, your carbon emissions are very very quickly. And the brewery that we have is completely um, based on electric. So everything in there is run off the grid um, or off our, off our own solar panels. And it means that, you know, if we're changing our supplier, that means that we're getting rid of the vast majority of those emissions straight away. The only thing actually we have left is the diesel van. So that's all our scope one and scope two emissions is just the diesel van. You'd allow a little bit for sort of um, compressors and, and cold rooms and things like that, but that's pretty minimal. So, you know, in terms of the next stage for us, it would be um, going in, onto an electric van. And that actually pretty much then completely re- removes our, as you say, our scope one and scope two and the other thing then we did do um, was to put in solar panels. So we were bringing in electricity off the grid. We're now generating up to about 90% of that power ourselves. Actually, in the summer, we can pretty much generate, be self-sufficient on that power. Over the winter, you know, solar is obviously not quite as good. And um, so it does mean then that we are generating a lot of power ourselves. We're a lot more in control of, of the power that we're using. And that's been a huge help for us. Was it a substantial, in terms of the area of solar panels to put in, was it a big undertaking or was it relatively simple to meet, meet your own needs? We actually, so we started off about uh, two years ago with a, a relatively small one. It was about 11 kilowatts. So for us, um, I'm trying to think in terms of explaining to people how much 11 kilowatts would do. But for us in a small brewery, that was doing more or less 25% of the power that we would need to run the brewery was coming from our own panels. And like it's one of these things about sustainability. So, you know, people say, oh, it's very expensive. You know, sustainability is, is an expensive thing to be looking at. But actually... Now that we've gone up to 50 kilowatts, so we, we basically put in another 39 kilowatts um, about uh, 12 months ago, 
that the energy cost, the, the saving that we're making on the energy coming from our own solar panels actually covers all of the rest of our sustainability um, measures that we're doing. So we are, I would say that we are cost neutral on sustainability. We're saving so much on energy that we're actually able to afford to do various other things around the likes of plastics, you know, community support, biodiversity features, things like that. And all of that money is actually coming from the savings that we're making from the, uh, from the solar panels. So it's a win-win because you're reducing your emissions. You know, if we, the likes of us, we're in origin green we have to report on our carbon emissions basically per litre of beer that we produce. But at the same time, we're actually saving quite a lot of money that we can use for something else. That's, in, that's incredible. I mean, when you put it in that context as well, because one of your goals is to, is to actually bring, is to achieve zero scope one and two emissions by the end of next year. You're almost there then in that regard. We are. I mean, really, all we have to do is change the van over. And I mean, I know that's not as simple as it sounds. And actually, what we're looking to do now is we're working with a, a company called Eco Hydro. We have a river. We're very lucky in a way. We have a river that runs past the house. So there's a, a, the plan is we're going to put in, and obviously this has to go through planning and everything else, but to put in, and it's only a 22 kilowatt um, machine into the, into the river. There's infrastructure there already, actually, from the, the mid-1800s, where there was a salmon leaves and there's a weir beside it. So there's not really any major infrastructural change in the river. But um, hydro is great because it runs overnight. Uh, it runs in the middle of winter. You know, I mean, I can hear the water flying over the river at the minute because of all the rain we've had recently. So it's a great complement to solar because you get the, the hydro at its peak in the winter. You get the solar at its peak in the summer. And that means then suddenly you've got an awful lot of excess power that you can put into a van. You know, you leave the van charging overnight and it's ready to go the following morning for you. And that does then completely reduce our, you know, remove our scope one and scope two, we'd actually be carbon positive at that stage. We'd be putting more energy back onto the grid than we'd be taking off. So, you know, we'd be, we'd actually be generating power for the grid rather than taking it off it. In making that move as well toward renewables, putting into solar panels and, and following all those initiatives and ideas you have, have you looked, have you actually availed of any grant funding through the likes of the SEAI or is it all self-funded? It, it actually, we did do uh, one very good thing we did. Sorry, sorry, I should give a plug to the local enterprise office as well because they funded this green for micro scheme that we did a couple of years ago. And that was actually very good. That was a consultant coming in, going through the whole business in terms of energy consumption and, and going through things that we could do. And we also did an SEAI energy audit. That was actually only about 12 months ago as well. And, and that was nearly a more detailed uh, version of, of um, you know the calculations in terms of what we could, could save. In terms of solar panels, we actually did fund those ourselves. Um, we effectively have them on a higher purchase from the company we bought them from. So we're paying them off over about six or seven years. And as I say, even with the payments for the solar panels, we're still our energy bills are still way less than half of what they used to be when we were taking everything off the grid. Um, but there are grants available, absolutely. And I know anyone who's thinking of it should have a, have a look at the SEAI website, have a look at the local enterprise office, because there are definitely grants available for putting that infrastructure in. Well, you're definitely putting forward a, a very good case for it as well. A final question for and you. And I should say, I don't have you? shares in the solar company. I'm not, I'm not trying to push that. <laughs> no, and no, there no. are obviously other no, solutions no. available, but uh, it, is, it is a great solution for us. A final question for you then. Does the consumer value that? I think the consumer, yeah, it's a tricky question. I think the consumer thinks they value that. Whether they're in, willing to pay extra for it now is another thing. Um, I would suggest that if we put up our prices to say, like say we did feel that our sustainability measures were costing us money and we wanted to put our prices up, I'm still not sure consumers are going to go for that. But if you're at the stage where you have two products that you think are in your mind are very similar and which one are you going to pick? Are you going to pick the sustainable one or the non-sustainable one? I think that's probably where you stand a chance on, on marketing your sustainability. Absolutely, but I suppose from your own perspective and the way you've painted it there, actually, there's a huge cost reduction too. I mean, any business should be focused on that as well and that in turn will allow you to be more competitive as well. So, you know, the, the absolutely. benefits, yeah, the yeah, benefits yeah, are twofold. David, as always, it's an absolute pleasure. We'll let you back to it and uh, thank you so much and congratulations again on yet another major national award.
Thank you very much. Cheers, Ronan. Thanks for that. And if you want to find out more about that fantastic company, just go to ballykilcavan.com online there. And of course, I'm going to keep reading that message from now till uh, Christmas as well. If you're looking for alternative gifts or something for a person or a corporate gift as well, check out these fantastic local companies and organisations. They're doing great things. And it's not just the products they're making. They're doing, uh, you know, really kind of life changing stuff behind the scenes too and David just kind of give, given us an overview of, of what they've done I mean reducing emissions by 77% in one year alone is absolutely incredible and uh, more power to them and may they continue to uh, reap the benefits of their success as well Time out for a quick break after that we're going to have a little look at Black Friday and see what that means what you should be doing what you can advertise and what you can't advertise and what type of deal is not actually a good deal and also how you might approach employees who might be trying to spend too much time shopping online next Friday Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmead. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Still to come this evening, we'll look at privacy leadership in your organisation and also Bordenamona have a graduate programme that's still open for applications. I'll have more details on that towards the end of the show. But before that, we'd be kind of remiss maybe not to address Black Friday. I'm sure you heard plenty of ads on the station with uh, your web shops and different retailers and all sorts of businesses offering Black Friday agreements. And it really is this notion that seemed to land here about six or seven years ago and it's firmly become a date or a thing in our calendars and there's no getting away from it as well. This year in particular, a lot of the narrative seems to be around looking at what are the actual offers or bargains out there? Indeed, are they actually offers or bargains? And I suppose it's good to know that there are a lot of kind of rules and indeed guidelines around what you can and can't advertise as well, particularly if you are, you know, maybe claiming to be given discounts that in reality aren't actual discounts. But also another factor is looking from a workplace perspective. So in just a few moments, I'll be talking to Caroline Reedy from the HR suite around how do you manage the fact that a lot of staff and particularly maybe people working from home next Friday could be spending quite a considerable amount of time shopping online. That's coming up just very shortly. But before that, I'm delighted to be joined by Grainne Griffin. Grainne is a Director of Communications at the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, the CCPC. And Grainne is going to talk to us about maybe, you know, the implications for retailers who may post discounts on items that maybe aren't quite uh, ringing through. A very good evening, Grainne. Good evening. Grania, people are probably kind of um, surprised and maybe indeed maybe uh, delighted to hear that there are implications for businesses who might be trying to claim stuff as a big discount or a big offer when in fact it's not. What will the CCPC be looking for in the run-up to Good Friday or Black Friday? Apologies. That's right. Our inspectors are active at the moment and will continue to be active now over the sales period. They'll be online, they'll be in-store and they'll be looking at our general range of powers under Consumer Protection Act, but also um, they'll be looking specifically at product pricing around the sales. That's a real kind of priority area for us at the moment. There was new legislation that came in at the end of last year that um, puts much, uh, much more stringent requirements on traders as to how they actually label their products and announce their sales. So they'll be looking to see that traders are actually complying with those new requir- requirements. And ultimately, in a nutshell, it means that you cannot mislead consumers by inflating discounts or portraying them in such a way that it makes them seem better than they actually are. So if you put a product up for sale and you say, this was the old price, this is the new price, you, that has to be um, substantiated. And there's, there, the guidelines or the law now clearly states that when our inspectors go out, they're looking at a 30-day reference period. So if you announce a sale, you start a sale and you say, from today, it's 50% off. This is 100 euros down to 50 euros. Uh, say something's gone from 100 euros down to 50 euros. We'll be looking to 
to make sure that that product wasn't sold at a lower price um, at any point during the previous 30 days. And also that the, that the notice is clear, it's transparent, it's easily understood, and it doesn't contain things like, for example, references to ORP in such a way that might be misleading to consumers. Of course, the average spend this year is predicted to be higher than ever before as well. So when it comes to actually looking at that discount and the level, are there are there particular red flags maybe that, that can often be spotted or like or, or how in-depth do your own inspectors have to actually be to, to maybe find culprits? They look at all aspects of the law. Like I said, we do look at in-store and online. Um, like it is quite it is quite comprehensive. And you're right, like consumers do seem to be displaying quite a strong appetite for the sales this year. Like we mon- we we survey on this every year and we've seen quite a jump this year in the number of consumers who say they are going to 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 buy something in the sales, particularly young consumers, like the majority of younger consumers say they're going to be shopping in the sales. Now, the, the amount that's due to be spent, though, has um, dropped slightly. It's dropped about €350 Euros on average, which does potentially indicate that maybe kind of cost of living pressures and things like that are, are, um, are factoring in. But I suppose like I would suggest to any business who has any queries or in the actual detail of the legislation to look at our website, ccpc.ie, because we did develop just a section for businesses on this where we went through, we brought them through guidance on like how does this law apply in practice? What does it look like? And also have to say we've had really excellent engagement from businesses since we published our guidance earlier on this year and we've been accepting questions in from traders and then publishing the answers on our website. And, you know, we also did go out and do some preliminary examinations earlier this year to see, well, what does the current sales practice look like in Ireland? And I have to say, really, the results were, were very poor. Like, there were some very obvious breaches of the legislation still um, still in play. And we did go out to consumers in the summer to say, look, we are coming up to the first big sales period following the introduction of the legislation. And you need to be alert to the fact that we are going to be enforcing and you do need to get your house or your shop, as it may be, in order um, if you don't want to potentially face enforcement action. So, I mean, the kind of things that you see are just quite blatant breaches in some cases where maybe they're indicating a prior price, which simply, you know, just didn't apply to the product in real life or, you know, indicating like a prior price that maybe hadn't actually applied in a really, really long period of time. Like, for example, you can't put something um, at a high price for like two weeks and then leave it for sale for the next you know, two or four or six months. You know, they have to be proportionate. So there's all sorts of kind of practical pieces like that um, that are outlined in detail on our website that any trader who's not familiar with the legislation and the requirements really should be looking at. I think it's important for anyone listening that, you know, maybe if they were trying to do offers and maybe genuinely just trying to phrase it in a certain way that makes it look good in order to attract business, but just to be careful that they don't step outside kind of what's allowable there too, because I'm sure it could be an easy mistake to make as well. Of course, I suppose nowadays too, I suppose for any consumer, given the amount of information that is available online, it should be a lot easier to actually do a bit of a price check and, and determine whether you are actually getting value. Yeah, I mean, consumers do say that they they are doing it. I mean, every year that is one of the things we look at, like uh, what are the kind of practices consumers are displaying in relation to the sales? Are they shopping around? And uh, people do say that they will do some research, like actually like 80% of consumers say, oh no, I'll be doing some research to try and make sure that that is the price that it was previously. And we know also that in a lot of cases, um, consumers are going out looking for a specific good or service. You know, they're not just necessarily just having a look to see what's out there. They have something in mind, maybe been thinking about it for a while, and they're just holding off to see where they can get the best price. So in some cases, consumers are being very savvy. Now, that said, younger consumers 
not quite as strong as older consumers now in those kind of habits. You do see younger consumers who are more likely to shop in the sales, less likely to shop around and more likely to just trust whatever is on the tag, whatever is on the sales announcement. Absolutely. But Grania, thank you so much. I think it's important that people are aware of that and indeed business owners too to know that there are resources there. www.ccpc.ie is the website that Grania referred to there. All the resources as well. For now, Grania Griffin, Director of Communications at the CCPC. Thank you so much for that this evening. Moving on a little bit to look at Black Friday and the implications in business. So what happens if you discover maybe next Friday that actually a lot of your staff or maybe you just have a suspicion that they're actually online doing shopping and trying to avail of lots of Black Friday um, bargains that may be out there. Uh, Caroline Reedy from the HR Suite joins me now. Caroline, this could be a tricky one to approach, I would guess. Without doubt, I mean, at the end of the day, the employment relationship, Ronan, as we all know, is very much based on that of trust. So we're expecting that employees are genuinely working, whether it's Friday, whether it's Monday, you know, depending on um, all of these Black Friday and Blue Monday and all the different things that are coming up. But I suppose we also have to kind of be mindful that as employers, we also have an obligation to remind people of, we say always, psychic communication doesn't work, where we might be concerned that people are going to be online And it's not just the fact that that might be a loss of productivity and a loss of time, but it also may mean that there is breaches in terms of they click on a link and all of a sudden that link ends up being, you know, something that causes an issue to the actual computer system and the work system. And that's actually nearly a bigger problem for people when people are accessing sites that are not. Um, I suppose the normal sites they'd be accessing and we're finding more and more data breaches, more and more, you know, of the, the fraud type emails. So clicking the link where the offer might seem too good is likely that it will. And somebody was telling me only last week that one of the offers already came out early and it was for a very well-known brand that would be quite expensive and it was giving huge discounts. But an employee clicked on the link and basically went all the way as far as payment, but AIB stopped it and said this is a fraudulent account. But not alone did that happen. The um, the website obviously crashed and upset the firewall and the work system, etc. So it's I suppose it's a bigger issue than just loss of productivity. So it's no harm in the lead up to Friday just to remind people that, look, we expect, you know, you know this already, we have a policy that you can't access other sites via your work laptop or your work desktop etc and just to remind people of that you know because let's be honest forewarmed is forearmed and I think that will mean we'll have a lot less problems overall to be dealing with next week whether they be data breaches you know issues with computers in terms of spam etc and issues around productivity. Yeah I think the the kind of cyber security angle is one that many people myself included may not have even considered and actually there has been numerous warnings in the last couple of days even from the likes of the Garda Síochána then you'd be very, very vigilant for fraudulent links, you know, and those ones that are making really special offers or that are almost duplicating websites. So a uh, very, very uh, useful advice there on that. But I suppose from a, an employment perspective, really, you know, giving them the guidance and, and most making people aware of, of the policies they are, how, how up to date would a lot of companies be with sort of like online or sort of, you know, browsing, particularly through web browsers, maybe where you're not actually doing work activities? Like are companies getting better or are we still way behind in, in, in you know, indicating to employees what's expected and what's allowed? I think we've got miles better. I think um, employers now appreciate the fact that 
doing toolbox talks and, you know, doing refresher training and, you know, being conscious that the more we set the standard, the better it is overall. And 99% of people, we don't even need to tell them they've got, you know, they know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. But you might have somebody and they're a graduate, you mentioned your graduate program you're going to be talking about later. This might be their first job, they mightn't realise and they think that, look, sure, this is grand, but what they don't realise is, as I say, the knock-on implication. It's not just loss of productivity or time, it's the other implication as well around that cybersecurity. So I suppose companies, without doubt, generally have policies now on social media and cybersecurity, and they're reminding their uh, employees in relation to their obligation in that regard. But coming up to big milestones like that, it's just no harm to re-remind people so you nip it in the bud proactively in advance rather than dealing with the issue thereafter. It might be a day as well to schedule some maybe team meetings and stuff like that and, and sometimes a bit of a distraction is often the very best cure for something clever, like that. <laughs> well, very clever, very I, clever. I, I worked with somebody years ago and in the week kind of running up the Christmas holidays there was always these major projects rolled out and what it did was it kept people really busy for a couple of days. There was no winding down early so I think there's always a solution there too and uh, Carolyn, as, as always, an absolute pleasure and I think you've raised a really interesting point there around the cybersecurity aspect of it. It's one that many people may have overlooked and I think a lot of people will be maybe taking a stock and taking note of that now and, and taking the correct action as well. But as always, Caroline Reedy from the HR Suite, thank you so much for joining me this evening. A pleasure, Roland. Thank you. Uh, Caroline, of course, always right on point there and just kind of, I suppose, t- making you think slightly outside that box as well. So look, at plenty of hints and tips there for you. And if you are a retailer or somebody who is, you know, partaking in the Black Friday sales as well, bear, bear, you know, Keep keep a little of that advice that Gronya Griffin from the CCPC gave as well. They have lots of guidelines there on their own website, cp, ccpc.ie, for all those resources that Gronya mentioned as well. Thanks to Caroline there too. Time for a short break. After that, we're going to discuss privacy leadership. Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Still to come, I'll have some details on the Board Namona graduate programme. But before that, you probably notice, Billy, in, in a lot of our day-to-day interactions, be it with online stores, be it with online uh, platforms across business, across like every aspect we do, like banking, paying utility bills as well, more and more you're probably noticing that the amount of personal information that you're likely inputting online or giving out or giving to organisations is probably on the rise. And in some ways, it seems like it will probably never stop as well. And organisations are increasingly harnessing personal information to gain you know, major insights to allow them to drive business decisions, to improve efficiencies and to deliver us all a better user or customer experience overall. And it goes, that raises a big question too. Yes, there may be data protection officers who are looking at how that data is stored and how it's managed as well. But it really raised that whole area and the whole issue of around privacy. So how private and confidential is all this personal information that you may be handing over? Well, to speak now this evening about privacy leadership, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Valerie Lyons. Valerie is the co-author of the Privacy Leader Compass, a comprehensive business-oriented roadmap for building and leading practical privacy programmes. Uh, very good evening, Valerie. And um, take us through this whole area of uh, privacy leadership as well. Have I given it enough service there or described it adequately in my opening piece? Apologies. Now I just seem to be have somebody on mute. We'll just get this working now in a second. 
Um, Dr. Valerie seems to be on mute on Zoom. So we thought we'd got over that. Uh, are you on mute as well? Um, I, I have, I have, have it fixed. It, I have it fixed. We have it fixed. There we go. Look at are you on mute? Has become <laughs> it's become part of our everyday lives for the past couple of years. It I just mentioned about, even on radio. There you go about pri- um, privacy leadership. I've kind of touched on it there as was looking at that whole area of the sheer amount of personal information being held by organisations now or being processed or stored. Are we on the right track there in terms of describing privacy leadership and and, and what it entails? Uh, yeah, thank, thanks, Ronan, for um, the introduction. Um, so really, I think the most important thing about privacy leadership, and, and you touched on it, is the move away from doing what we call privacy rights towards doing privacy rights. Um, it's an essential component we hear over and over again um, from organizations about uh, not just doing compliance. And, and really, um, I suppose that's what the book, Privacy Leader Compass is trying to encourage is, yes, we'll be a leader in the privacy space. Compliance. That be the baseline of all the many other aspects we should be looking at to ensure that we tick all the boxes. Um, and even when we tick all the boxes, uh, um, we also consider, you know, there's that element of just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, and so that's the ethics piece. And, and, and we all know that privacy and ethics go hand in hand together. But really, the Privacy Leader Compass is trying to establish a roadmap for those in that leadership position. And, and that, you know, you mentioned um, a sort of privacy data protection officers and things like that. But there's, there's cybersecurity people and information security people and, and business people and financial people in smaller organizations in particular are actually responsible for driving forward privacy practices within an organization and how they're implemented right to and the culture of privacy within the organization. So that's why I called it the privacy leader rather than, say, the chief privacy officer or the data protection officer. Um, and it's really a roadmap for anybody who's responsible for privacy throughout their organization. Yeah, um, and, and it's interesting there how you, you bring into that the kind of smaller organizations too. And, and many, like you've just touched on, will be probably dealing with multiple facets, like in all aspects of that private information too. And, and therefore, in some ways, could actually be slightly more vulnerable than the larger organizations who can, who've got the resources to go out and put these leaders in place or put all these various officers in place to protect that information. So for small businesses then, you, you've designed this as well, that they can actually look at this and look at you know, creating that privacy leader within their organization. Absolutely. And and actually, um, I'd just like to add to that, um, it, it's important to note that smaller organization of the past, that SME of the past, it actually, most of them, if not all of them at this point, are as equally dependent on data as the larger organizations. And, and for instance, in, in, in my space, where in the organizations that I work with, I work with a whole range of organizations from small all the way up to um, international, global, multinational organizations. The smaller organizations, particularly startups, are hugely dependent on data. Many of them are digital startups, so they're actually completely online um, and they're they're depending on on AI tools, for instance, and a collection of AI related data and, and the interpretation of AI related data. So there's a lot of initiatives that are ongoing in smaller organizations that are, are more needy of privacy leadership than, say, necessarily in larger organizations. 
they just may not be as aware of the needs. Um, and it's that awareness uh, that the privacy leader compass hopes to bring to the organization is the, the awareness to the smaller organization along with those larger organizations. Because it was outside of the data protection regulations, like we have coming down the tracks quite thick and fast, like directives around the use of artificial intelligence. And again, that raises another massive red flag when it comes to artificial intelligence and personal information. So uh, it really is timely that people became hugely aware of this. Yeah, um, and there's a whole host of regulations, not just directives. So, you know, the, the, the directives have a, an element of discretion to some degree. Regulation is coming at us fast and furious starting next year. Um, and AI will be one of those regulations, NIST 2. So many kind of crossovers from the cybersecurity space into the privacy space. And, and actually, the two are very difficult to kind of disconnect from each other. Um, but we, we see a huge number of of pieces of legislation coming from Europe, the Digital Service, and for instance, the Digital Markets Act. Some of these are not necessarily going to affect the smaller players, but definitely will affect the larger players. Um, and and trying to get our head around what piece of legislation should we be most focused on is is a big monster because you have to be focused on all of them. And I think that if we go back to that thing I said at the beginning about doing privacy right, if you come at it with a um, the perspective, Lego, for instance, come at it from the perspective of should be no surprises. Um, you know, if you come at it, uh, there should be no surprises. Rather than looking at any piece of legislation, I, I think the smaller organization will actually get it right without even having that um, map of legislation there to kind of follow, I think they will get it right by literally doing right by the data. And it is something that I try to focus on in the book is the, the map of doing right by the data. If somebody you know gets the book as well, starts to look at creating that roadmap as well, typically journey-wise, is it something that could be like, is it a two, three-year project typically? Or like, you know, do people kind of follow along and, and, and develop it as they go through it and, and begin to maybe get a new found awareness of the areas that maybe are actually affecting their business, but they just never knew of them? Well, so the, the big problem is, and one of the reasons I wrote the book in the way that we did is that um, many of the, the sort of the, guides that are out there are a bit jumpy they don't cover everything and and that was the kind of the gap that i identified was there wasn't something that covered everything and and i wanted something nothing is going to be a hundred percent i wanted to create something that would get to 90 percent. you know 95 percent for most organizations that they they cover everything so the book kind of goes it, it uses we leveraged a model called the 7s model it's an organizational effectiveness model so we applied that model to privacy effectiveness so we looked at privacy as an organization within an organization and we applied the privacy or the 7s model to privacy so you know we look at the styles of leadership within an organization in terms of privacy we look at structure and the strategy that the organization has we look at the the various different elements of laws and legislations and the values, the shared values that organizations have. So we look through the 7S model, but we also look beyond it and, and we kind of bookend it with, um, I, my, my PhD is in um, privacy. So I, I brought some of the learnings, the academic pieces into kind of bookend it and say, you need to think about these things as well. Like there's, 
the types of people who work in your organization and what are their attitudes towards privacy and what's their backgrounds and what are the things that influence how privacy behaviors are enacted by individuals? So do the more anthropological perspectives and sociological perspectives of privacy. So I'll try to bring those in as well. And yeah, then there's the ethical piece mm. of privacy, which obviously isn't in legislation. And I kind of bookended it with that as well. Yeah, that, that's what's coming out in space. There is like, you know, you've, you've taken way above just the regulations and the compliance piece. And it really is looking at that, that overall holistic part of the organization too. And even the way you mentioned like employees or people's approach to privacy, we could all be vastly different and, and how you manage that internally as well. Valerie, the book is currently available. Um, it's been a huge body of work for you, but it's now available. How can people get a, their hands on a copy of it? It's available on Amazon and from Taylor and Francis. So you can get it on uh, amazon.co.uk or amazon.com, depending on your jurisdiction. Uh, so obviously, it's probably easier to get it on .co.uk if you're on this side of the pond um, and amazon.com if you're on the other side of the pond and it's shipping now. So it just uh, it just started shipping, in fact, yesterday. Well, congratulations on that. It's a major milestone and uh, absolutely a fascinating read as well. But for now, Dr. Valerie Lyons, thank you so much for coming on this evening and uh, look forward to exploring that area of privacy leadership uh, in a lot more depth in the future. Thanks very much, Ron, and thank you for having me. And as Valerie says, you can get copies of that book there on, on Amazon too. And definitely worth checking out as well because, um, you know, it is an area that, that needs to be explored, need to be addressed too. But um, that, again, as always, appreciate Valerie taking the time to come on and, and speak to us about that area. Um, time for now for a short break. After that, Born and Mona have a new graduate programme um, available now. Places are still available on it. and um, The deadline is coming thick and fast, but after the break, we'll hear from Sharon Doyle, their CPO, about the ins and outs of that graduate programme and how you get involved, if you so wish. Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmead. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Board Namona are offering graduates a chance to contribute towards Ireland's greener future. You can visit boardnamona.ie to apply for the graduate programme. But to find out more, I'm delighted to be joined by Chief People Officer and awfully Sharon Doyle. A very good evening, Sharon. Uh, when did this graduate programme first begin? We launched our programme last year, um, Roland. We launched the Pathways to the Future programme, and that has three different pathways. It has a graduate pathway, a scholarship pathway, and an apprenticeship pathway. And the goal of the programme is to provide opportunities for young people to work on the front line of climate action and sustainable economic development. So last year we launched each of those programmes. Um, we have um, our first graduate cohort joined us, so our first 18 graduates joined us this year. Um, majority of them just joined in September. And we're now currently sourcing our next cohort of graduates that will join us in 2024. When it comes to sourcing graduates then, what type of people are you looking for and indeed what skill sets? Well, if we, if we look at the roles that we currently have open, we have uh, 10 roles open at the moment. Um, and of those roles, we're primarily looking for um, candidates who want to work in renewable energy. So that's engineers, environmental scientists, um, commercial analysts or HR graduates. We also have opportunities in our land and habitat business for engineering or environmental graduates. And within our recycling or um, board and one recycling business we also have opportunities for finance uh, HR and commercial graduates and really what we're looking for is um, ambitious graduates who are coming out of college completing their degree either this year um, as in 2023 they could have completed or completing in 2024 and that they're looking for an opportunity with um, a Midlands based company essentially ourselves 
to work in climate action and to contribute to making, whether it's the renewable energy, recycling or a rehabilitation business, a, a stronger business in the Midlands. It states online that Bordemona will support further education development through the 70-20-10 learning model. What, what is that? So in terms of our graduate programme, what we look at is how we can um, train graduates so we can provide them with formal training, we can provide them with online learning, on-the-job training, technical training and a buddy programme. So we have a very detailed two-year graduate journey map where we provide graduates with a mentor, um, we provide them with site visits, networking opportunities, we get them involved in strategic projects, in corporate social responsibility initiatives, etc. And we ensure that they basically get 70% of their learning is through their development, through projects, experience, reflection and responsibility. 20% is from social learning and mentoring and 10% through formal learning opportunities. Um, And we obviously have a lot of very experienced engineers and project managers across all our business units And what we'll do is we'll ensure that the graduates work closely with those experienced um, teams so they can develop their own understanding and expertise. And is the learning and all, is that all done entirely in-house within Board Namona or do you engage any kind of third third level or HEA educational providers? It's a combination. So depending on the development requirements that each individual has, we work with um, Irish Wind Energy. They have some uh, courses that we avail of. We look at formal courses through TUS or, or other um, colleges, depending on, on what's running or what's needed. We also um, provide project management skills um, and our mentoring is in-house. So a combination, uh, Ronan, depending on the development requirements for each individual. Do you expect the applications to be competitive for it? Yes, absolutely. We definitely expect the applications to be competitive. I suppose, look, there are a lot of, of graduates who may be Midlands-based and uh, may not be in a position to move to Dublin or to or to, to leave the country to find work. And I suppose what we're keen to do is attract uh, talent from across the country into the Midlands. And we did see last year a high application um, rate. Um, it's very competitive, but we have a lot of really exciting projects across um, our businesses. I think if you look at the renewable energy business in particular, you know, we have the wind farm that's currently being built in Darren Lock. We completed Clon Green and own any wind farms last year. We have our offshore partnership with Ocean Winds. We have our successful planning permission for the two megawatt pilot scale hydrogen electrolysis plant in Mount Lucas. And we have a solar farm under construction in Timahoe in Kildare. So we have a lot of exciting projects that if you're in the renewable energy space and you want to work on them, uh, graduates will be familiar with them and they will be keen to get involved in those projects and get the experience that it, they offer. Yes, sir. That's Sharon Doyle there, the Chief People Officer at Board Namona speaking about their graduate programme. It is still open for applications. I think the closing date is coming towards the end of this week. Um, there are great opportunities there and even some of the projects that Sharon spoke about um, just there now, like it kind of goes to show you the scale of, of what Board Namona are doing and indeed bring that net wide and attracting people maybe from way outside the Midlands region to come to this region in order to work and maybe ultimately set up home as well. So highly positive moves there too. So we're checking out boardnamona.ie is the web address there. Hopefully you've enjoyed this evening's show. Um, great pleasure as always to talk to David Walsh, chemist from Ballykilcavan Brewery. They've reduced their carbon footprint or carbon emissions by 77% in one year alone. Now that's true leadership when it comes to sustainability as well. I hope you enjoyed the piece around Black Friday too and what to look out for if you're a retailer and, and also if you're the owner or a manager of a company and you expect people maybe doing a bit of online shopping at the weekend. And of course, introduce that topic of privacy leadership with Dr. Valerie Lyons. 
And again, something that uh, organisations will need to be aware of indeed, keep an eye out in the year, over the years and months to come as well. That's it for this evening. Time for me to jump out of this seat and let Joe Cooney in for Country Roads after News at 8. I'll talk to you all next week. Taking care of business returns next Tuesday at 7pm with the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business.